0: All right, take your Bibles, turn to 2 John, 2 John, and there's just one chapter, and then we're going to go to 3 John, and we're going to read a few verses there, and so we just finished up uh, last week, 1 John, going through the five chapters there, and now we have 2 John and 3 John today, so really what you have is that 1 John was anonymous, it's, it's the style of the writing that we, see in, that we see in 1 John that marries that with the gospel of John and, and with the other two books here uh, that he is not anonymous in. Uh, this, the style is, is very similar. It's pretty much the same. Uh, so therefore, we um, reach the conclusion that John authored all three books Um, even though it wasn't expressly stated in 1 John. So 1 John, as we tie it up, he's he's hitting these statements of God being truth, of us being connected to that God, and not being swayed by the spirit of Antichrist that is moving in our world. So he hits that from several different angles. And, And you can go back and listen to the messages, and you can see that it's really the same message, just coming at it from different angles and different points of view, using different illustrations like light and darkness, um, you know, truth and error, and comparing himself to those things. So uh, he uses that book to lay the groundwork. Once again, uh, we're thinking that he wrote them from Ephesus to a group of house churches uh, of Jewish, we believe that it's primarily Jewish believers, uh, that had fled from Jerusalem after the destruction of the temple. After the, the, after the destruction of Jerusalem. So somewhere around that 70 AD, uh, they flee Jerusalem. So they're in a time of crisis and they're meeting in homes. So think about that perfect book for us during this season, right? A time of crisis, meeting in homes, and and look at the way we're staying connected like this. Uh, That probably would have been a way that John would have used back then if it was available. So trying to stay connected, trying to uh, keep us on point, on mission uh, for the cause of Christ, and John was concerned because there were those that were disrupting that. There were those that were trying to circumvent, those that were trying to work against, those that that wanted to deceive, those that wanted uh, the limelight, if you will. So uh, we find that he addresses some issues in 1 John, and then 2 John and 3 John, he's going to direct these letters, 2 John and 3 John, to someone specific, and and I, I just think that it's a wonderful lesson for us. Uh, they're, they're wonderful truths, um, and I didn't, I didn't want to separate them. I wanted to bring them in a message together and say, here's two letters. Here are the things that, I would be four, here's two letters. <laughs> uh, two letters that are addressing issues in these two folks' lives, uh, two probably different house churches, two different communities. And I think there is some wonderful things for us to glean from, from both of those letters. So, 2 John is a letter specifically to a lady that had been converted. A letter specifically to a lady that had been converted. Third John is a letter specifically to a man named Gaius. Third John is a letter specifically to a man named Gaius. Both of these letters are exhortations to live in the truth, endure in the truth, walk in the truth, and both of these are exhortations to remaining connected. Remaining connected. So, let's read some excerpts. How many of you just feel the need, as we've gone through this series, how many feel the need to stay connected to our God? Yeah, that's right, all of us do. How many of you feel a need to be more connected to God? Let me ask you that question. Who, who needs to be more connected to God? If you feel that, I promise you, if you listen, if, if, we, if we learn from what the text is saying today, you will be more connected with God. Syria is just coming on, on her own, here we go. Uh, so let's read some excerpts, 2 John verses 1 through 4, we'll start there, 2 John verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, you see, you see this connection? For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be unto you, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children, watch this, walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. So there's an excerpt to, uh, hi, (laughs) is that my daughter? Over there, did she make her way in here? Okay. Uh, so there's an excerpt from 2 John to the elect lady, uh, and, and he says, listen, uh, I, I just want to talk to you. I want to encourage you in the truth. Here's an excerpt from 3 John to the well-beloved Gaius, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, verses one through four, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that it is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So here's 2 John written to a, a lady. Here's 3 John written specifically to Gaius, and he's saying that I have no greater joy than to hear you, lady, that you are teaching and training your children to walk in truth. I have no greater joy, Gaius, than to hear that in your community you are walking in the truth. God wants nothing more for us to walk in him. Walk in the truth and, and be connected to Him. Here are some initial thoughts as we begin to unpack these two books. Love happens in the truth. You know, there's a counterfeit kind of love. There's a counterfeit kind of connection. There are counterfeit stages of what we think is uh, friendship. And a lot of it has to do with social media. A lot of it has to do with uh, relationships that we build through ways that are absolutely not genuine. And there can be genuine connection. There can be meaningful connection through social media. But I feel as though today we are we are in a dearth for just authenticity in our our relationships, authenticity in these moments where we understand that love happens in the truth. What else do I find happening here in the truth? Fellowship. John is saying, I'm apart from you, but I have fellowship with you. Think about that. I'm apart from you. You're, I'm writing to you, but I still have fellowship with you in the truth. Help happens in the truth. We find here that he is sending help. Happiness. He has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. Happiness happens in the truth. What is the truth? This word is being stated over and over again, right? What is that? The word truth comes from the Greek word aletheia, which is considered truth under a matter of consideration. So when we are are considering certain things, the matter that is being considered, whatever is considered truth of that matter, is the aletheia, or what is truth. So, if you think about the context of this book, how John came right out of the gate saying, we witnessed Jesus Christ. We saw it with our own two eyes. We touched him. These, The matter uh, 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 that is being considered here of faith, the matter here of following Christ, of what is truth, right, in this worldview, I'm, I'm letting you know that it has prevailed to be true. What is being considered about your eternity? What is being considered about life after death? What is being considered about persecution? We are finding that Jesus is the truth and he is the foundation in all of these things. The aletheia. It is what is true under the matter of consideration. Here's some support text. Here's another excerpt from one of his books, John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John's words ring out that he is the bedrock. It is Jesus. 1 John 1.1, we we already said this here, right, in this series, that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Our hands have handled what we have put to the test, what we have considered. These are not just uh, flighty arguments. These are not just passing thoughts. These are... These are truth. These are aletheia. These are the bedrock of the matters of consideration of our world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What we are connecting you to here at our church is the truth, is the matter of consideration, and we have found that this has reigned sovereign and supreme. John is connected and desires them to be connected to the truth. The truth is Jesus. 1 John 5, 20, 21, it says, little children, keep yourself from idols Amen. John is saying, I don't want you to connect to anything else. I have great joy when I hear, beloved lady, when I hear, beloved Gaius, that you all walk in truth. That your children are walking in truth. That you have considered the things of this world, the things of this life, and you have settled on that Jesus is the answer. Let's dig into the warnings that are offered to the two in 2nd and 3rd John, before we move on from our Staying Connected series. So, John gives warnings to the lady, and he gives warnings to Gaius. And those are going to be our two main points today. Our two main points as we tie up this series are the warnings that he gave, after he gave the the considerations, if you will, after he laid the groundwork in 1st John, he goes specifically to the lady, specifically to the man, specifically to these house churches and and um, brings it home if you will, with those final warnings and exhortations and that's what I'm going to leave you with today. So we find in verse second John verses seven and eight, the scriptures are on your screen if you have your Bibles it's second John, verse seven and eight and then we're going to go to third John 9 and 11 and we're going to look at these warnings that he gave, uh, to the lady and to Gaius. So right here, the warning in Second John. For many deceivers, verse 7, are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Here, here it is. Look to yourselves. Here's an incredible statement. That we lose not those things Which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. At first glance, what is the warning? Here it is. I'm just going to paraphrase. I feel like this is what the author is saying. John says there is danger in losing ground. As we have all kind of scattered and we've found ourselves in ministry, doing ministry in house churches, and I'm telling you this, Bethlehem, our ministry is not going to look the same when we come back. It's going to be intensified. We're going to do more. We're going to raise up the banner of the cross and we're going to reach out to a lost and dying world here in Baltimore. We ain't losing ground. And and, and what I want to tell you is there is a scare. There is an exhortation here from the author to say, don't lose the ground that God has gained in your life. That's the exhortation that I'm seeing under the lady. And here's what I'm saying to you. And we're going to talk about it in detail. What ground have you lost? During these moments, during this pandemic, God didn't want your foot off the gas. Maybe he needed you to set it on cruise control. Maybe he needed you to set it and forget it for for a little while during this season. Maybe you're not flooring through. I understand that. But he, he ain't trying to give away ground. He's not trying to retreat. We understand that God is going to bring all these things to pass. And so what John is saying is, if the Holy Ghost has come and he's indwelling hearts and lives, he's bringing about God's kingdom. And therefore, the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist will be opposing to claw back, to take back all of that ground that you're gaining in our Savior. That's a warning. What's the other warning? Thank you for asking. 3 John, verses 9 through 11. What was the warning specifically to Gaius? Here's the warning, and he names names. Some of you are like, man, you know, don't don't say who it was, but (laughs) that wouldn't have gone over with John. John was like, let me tell you who the problem is. Look at it, verse 9. I wrote unto you, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Oh, my Lord Jesus. (laughs) John's calling him out. I'll remember his deeds. Prating against us with malicious words, not content therewith, neither doth himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, casting them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God But he that doeth evil hath not seen God. You see, here's this fellow right here. Diotrephus. And John says, that guy Diotrephus, let me tell you, let me warn you, Gaius. He wanted the preeminence. He wanted control of what I was doing, therefore, there were, it, it seems as though what I'm understanding from the text is there were a group of missionaries coming through. There were a group of people that were coming through this house church that were doing, mis- that were doing missions work, that were doing Christ-honoring uh, uh, gospel-centered work, and he didn't want anything to do with it. Why? Because he wanted the preeminence. Here's the second warning I see to Gaius. To the lady, to the lady, don't lose ground. To Gaius... John says there's a danger in loving something other than God and being in the ministry. There's a danger, and Diotrephes, he's displaying this danger. He is there for himself. He wants the preeminence. He wants to do church the way he thinks church should be done. And John said, I'm going to remember that. And I'm calling him out in this letter, and I want you to know that you can walk in truth. You can do good. You can do what God wants you to do, and you don't have to take your marching orders from diatrophies. Man, that's, that's hardcore. Why is it hardcore? Because he doesn't want him losing ground. He wants him staying connected. We're going to expand these two points. We're going to expand these two warnings today. And then we're going to wrap it up and put a bow on it, okay? These two warnings. Two warnings. I honestly, after closing out, and I, I was going to spend a week on Second John and a week on 3 John, and I thought, no, 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 no. We're going to put these together. I cannot think of, and we're ending our series today, which means I'll have a special s- a sermon for next week when we all come back together. But uh, I could not think of a better way to end our exclusively online time than to end with these warnings right here. Then to fire you up. To understand that we have a mission. That we have a purpose. And that that has not been put on hold during this time. So buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. The lady's warning. Being deceived and losing ground. How do we protect against this, church? How do we protect against this? Thank you for asking. Point number one today, point number one, there's only two. Know the ground on which you stand. Know the ground on which you stand. I was watching a, uh, I was watching Jimmy Fallon. I hope you love Jimmy Fallon. The guy's amazing. He's hilarious. And uh, Jimmy Fallon was doing his tonight show at home, and they were doing these Zoom calls, and what he was doing is, showing how through Zoom you can change the background, right? You know what I mean? You can, you can change it to, and Cody does it all the time when we're in our, our leader meetings and he puts stupid things in his background. Uh, there's always one in every group, right? Um, but nonetheless, so they say, hey, if you have a work meeting, what you should do is record yourself of sitting in front of your computer and then replace the background in Zoom with that recording and then you can go do whatever you want, right? You you can record yourself as the placeholder and then you walk off the camera and you're still there, right? And, and it was it was hilarious, you know. He recorded him kind of doing his thing and you know drinking every now and then or whatever, and and he was like totally not there. And then all of a sudden he cut to a one where he had like himself up here in the screen and there were like six of him all over, right? And it was just it was humorous to see that. What you thought was someone sitting in front of the camera through technology, these are not the droids you're looking for, right? That's what Satan does. Satan says, this is what you think, this is where you should stand, this is where you shouldn't stand, and and what God does is, God makes it clear. God says, here's where I want you, this is where you're connected to me, this is where you're doing good gospel-centered work, and the devil just changes the script. The devil changes the background, he changes the landscape, he keeps you guessing, and if you're wondering where you're standing, and on what ground you are standing, and he gets you confused, chances are you'll fall for something. So that distraction is important to identify. So how do we protect against that from the beginning? Number one, you know the ground on which you stand. Listen to the listen to the Apostle Paul's words, Romans nine one. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing witness, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Paul is saying, this is simple. This is very simple. I say the truth in Christ, I don't lie about it, and I have internally, it doesn't matter what's happening around me, what the noises in my life, the voices that are external that are trying to change the landscape, internally I know that I'm doing what's right. When was the last time you didn't care what rug was pulled out from under you because it was about what was in you, not what was on the outside? We have to know, Christian, we cannot move on from this text. We cannot get what we need to be connected with God and not know the ground that we're standing on. Paul, that I may know Gnosko, that I may experience God, that I may know. He said, I renew the inward man daily in Corinthians. We find that there's an internal connection and we are not subject to external resources to change it up. So what does that mean? It means that John said, dear lady, there's a problem. There are antichrists and deceivers in this world, and they want nothing more than to pull the foundation right out from under you. Know where you stand. Know where you stand. You know, if someone comes knocking on your door, and they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, I'd be very careful if I wasn't rooted and grounded in inviting them in my home. John speaks specifically to that. I invite them in. I'm like, come on, let's have a talk. I have one in particularly, of course I just moved, but one in particularly that would come by about every three weeks on the regular. I would be hospitable, I would bring him into my home, he's from another. I would call it a cult, you know, I'd bring him in, I'd offer him coffee, I'd show him the love of God, and I would explain to him why his interpretation of those verses are wrong. Why? Because it doesn't have Jesus as the foundation, it as Jesus is some elective prophet that he could or could without could could go with or could go without i'm sorry that's not right the ground on which i stand is Predicated on the Son of God being the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. I know on the ground at which I stand. And what you have to understand is that Jesus, his kingdom is coming to pass. It is coming to fruition. And so is Satan's. His time is coming. It is at hand. He knows that his time is limited. And he's throwing everything that he can. You have to know on what ground you stand. The virgin birth, non-negotiable. His birth was miraculous. The word of God is perfect. It does not contradict. I know the ground on which I stand. What else did Paul say? 2 Corinthians 11.10 As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. I can tell you the ground on which I stand today. No one is going to stop me from preaching the word of God. No one. They, they may stop me. They, they, they may say, decease. They, they may say, here's a prison cell. But all of those that have gone before me have endured. Uh, but a light affliction. It's promised us that we will go through persecution. It's promised us that we will endure. And what we have endured in America is nothing compared to what they've endured in other countries. And if God called me there, I would preach the word of God. I'm called to preach. I am called to proclaim the gospel. And Paul said, ain't nobody stopping me. Let me help you with something. The ground on which I stand is the ground on which I preach, is the ground on which I proclaim. What else did Paul say? Galatians 2.5, to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I don't want something, I don't want you to come to our church Just to only be here for one service and get what you need and then leave. We're in it for the long haul. We're in it to bring about God's kingdom. We're in it to put everything on the line because we are seeking God's kingdom and not our earthly pleasures. We have pleasure in him. We have understanding that when the things of this life are changing around us, when sickness comes, when problems uh, uh, happen and and the devil's throwing it all, we're not going to defect. We're not going to succumb to his message. God's message will endure. God's message will prevail. Here's how Paul said not to do it. You ready? Remember, know the ground on which you stand. Romans 1.25, who changed the, the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The ground on which you stand is not the ground that you should be worshiping. The ground, and I'm saying that metaphorically at some point we've reached we, we reach a point where satan is able to distract us <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> where satan is able to distract us with the things god created if we're getting more pleasure out of the pleasures of this world than the god of the pleasures we have a problem if we're worshiping the creature more than the creator we have forgotten the ground on which we stand I, I see so many Christians distracted right now. Distracted. I mean, squirrel, I'm the one who deals with distractions, right? If you come to Bethlehem, you know. I, I have a hard time. This camera thing is is hard for me. I want to know what's going on everywhere. And, and it's hard for me to focus. I, I'm, how do you say, undiagnosed, ADHD. Uh. But the point is, is I I am super easily distracted. And I feel like Satan is just, at this point, you know, he's got his little command center, all his little, this is just me thinking, right? He's got all his little screens around him, and he's deploying his little deceivers to carry his lie. Think about how many lies. We would let's just say call it fake news, right? The devil uses fake news. Think about how many lies a week you see. Think about how many things you're presented with on social media or email or a friend, word of mouth, right? I just cannot believe sometimes how distracted we become. And, and it's just like, do we not believe that God is sovereign? Do we not believe that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church? I serve a greater God, greater is, is the one who is in me, than he that is in the world. But he that is in the world is sitting there watching you deploying his little imps, deploying his demons, and they're changing the narrative in front of you, and they're letting you know when you enter into sickness, when you enter into a grief, into grief when you enter into a marriage conflict, yeah, God doesn't have you. Why don't you be scared of, of what this is going to look like if it doesn't work out? Yeah, go to church. Because you're not faithful to it anyway. And we literally allow him to shame us, to fear monger us, and to control us. The ground on which I stand is not a ground that Satan controls. He does not control the narrative in my life. Some of you need to go to your Bibles, read it, and pray, and realize that he is not controlling the narrative. Hey, what's the first warning. Well, it was to the lady, 2 John. My warning to her is the fact that you're going to lose ground on what God has wrought or or the things that God has brought to pass in your life. You're going to lose that Christian, I I, I just beg you, I plead with you, don't lose ground. You've worked so hard. Through Christ on your marriage, you have adopted biblical principle. You're rearing your children the right way. Stand on that. Stand your ground. Don't lose ground. Don't let the devil lie to you and get you to be sidetracked on the plan. Know the ground on which you stand. That's the first warning. (laughs) This truth that I speak of is Jesus. He's the foundation. Do you know my God? Simply Jesus, nothing else. Not politics, not religion, and not your disciplines. It is simply Jesus. Jesus has won, and the author warns of the devil taking ground in your life that Jesus has already staked claim on. Listen to these final exhortations about point one, and then we'll have point two, and we'll go go home. Just kidding. You'll, You'll stay where you're at. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, watch this, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I felt the need this morning to remind you that God will see this through. Your life on this earth, the ground on which you stand, is ground that he will see you through. You understand what I'm saying? He has saved you. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will bring it to pass. Your, your eternity is not staked on a sickness, on a relationship with any person. It's staked on a relationship with our God, and his name is Jesus. And he has promised to bring his will to pass in our life. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, remember these words that Jesus spoke to Peter And the Lord said unto Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. That he may sift you as wheat. Satan wants nothing more than to throw us away like the unusable parts of the wheat. He just wants to throw us away. And God says, no, 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 no. You're mine. I have redeemed you. You are my possession purchased. I have proven that I've purchased you by putting my Holy Spirit in you and he will bear witness in you and with your conscience as to what is true and what is false. Gaius' warning, loving something other than God in ministry. Hey, Gaius! Whether you're in that house church or a leader of or one of the leaders, I I want you to understand this in 3 John verses 9 and 11. That Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them? You you have to understand, Gaius, Diotrephes is in it for himself. He's in it for himself. You know, yes, we have to fight against losing ground and I as a pastor, I as a pastor just struggle and what I lose sleep on more than anything is, and I know I have to give it to God, but is watching young disciples, young folks in the faith, if you will, that have come to know God, my, my heart's prayer is that God saves them and keeps them and that they don't lose ground. As he wrote to that lady, don't lose ground, stay strong, it's okay, you're going to get through it. God is, is uh, nigh unto the broken heart. He'll walk you through those things. But the other thing I see is this warning right here. People that are in the church, but they're of the world. In the church, but they're of the world. They're here and they're doing good ministry that they may have the preeminence over. That's I'm warning you. As an elder, as an overseer, and I would uh, commission our, el- our elders and those that I know are humble men before God, we have to keep an eye in this family of God that we watch out for those that the devil has their number. They liked it a little too much. They took credit for And eventually, they turned away the missionaries. Eventually, they became more uh, uh, money-centric in the sense that they didn't want to live from that generosity of bring them in, bring the missionaries, let's do everything we can to advance the gospel. And it became, no, we don't have the resources for that. God help us. If we ever get to a point where we are not willing to take a step of faith, chances are we're in it for the wrong reason. Chances are, number two... Know the reason for which we stand. Know the reason. The ground on which we stand so that we don't lose ground. Be sure-footed, but know why you're standing there. Unfortunately, Diotrephes, at some point in time, exchanged the real, the real reason, the gospel, why he should be doing good ministry. And he said, I like the feeling this gives me. I like the preeminence. I like the position more than the posture of prayer that I should be having. This is a danger in our churches. It's a danger. Let me help you with this, and and I was was helped significantly. I'm preaching this sermon uh, to you that I've already preached to myself many a time this week, and it's, it's a great filter to run yourself through, to run your areas of service, and what you're doing for God, it's a great filter to run things through. Let me help you with this. If John could prove, I'm going to call him uh, Dio, Diotrephes, we'll call him Dio. If John could prove that Dio was angry, malicious, and hateful towards others, that he had their own work, that, that had their own work in the Lord to be accomplished, then he successfully protected the flock of God. If John could prove that Dio was angry, malicious, and hateful towards others that had their own work in the Lord to be accomplished, then he successfully protected the flock of God. What we have to understand here is Gaius, he was writing to Gaius saying, did you see the way Dio handled those missionaries? At some point, we have to take a step back and say, how do we like it when other people are blessed? How do we like it when other people in our ministry succeed when they are at the forefront, when they are being used by God, when they are doing well in our church context? How do we feel about that? I think Dio was like, "Uh uh-uh, this is my house. I'm going to get the preeminence. You are not going to step into my territory. You get out of here. You're not going to take our resources. At some point, when we understand Point number two, know the reason for which you stand, that there are others in our midst that don't handle other people succeeding very well. We have a problem. Let me call out some things that need to be stopped because they are proving you are shallow in your purpose and are not showing signs of understanding the ground on which you stand. The things I'm about to read, I'm not trying to be unloving, but they don't belong in the church. The things I'm about to read uh, will literally hurt the church. They will cause others to be disconnected from the church. And it's, it's not okay. The first thing is this, unfaithfulness and inconsistency in your walk. We know we all deal with these things. We know we all have trouble being consistent. But when it has been proven that you are unfaithful and, and, and you're just inconsistent in your walk, that's a problem. You're, you're missing the reason. If we understood truly the ground on which we stand, then we would know the reason and we would be faithful. We would know this is for God. We would know that we have a a mission and a great commission from God to do his work. How many of you, if God showed up to you in a vision this morning and said, you better be in church Wednesday night and you better register for 11 a.m. Sunday morning and then disappeared, I mean i would see you here with bells on ghost white i'm ready i'm ready for connect groups i am ready for worship sunny morning i registered early what's gotten into you i saw a vision the lord told me to be here not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is but so much the more seeing the day approaching we have a word a more sure word of prophecy it's prophetic let me help you The Lord has shown up to you and he's telling you the reason that you're standing should be displayed in corporate gatherings. The reason that you're standing should be displayed in faithful service to the king. The reason that you have been saved should be displayed in you sharing your faith with others. Do I have to come to you specifically in a vision? I gave you a word. I bear witness through my Holy Spirit of God. You just grieving. You ain't talked to him in months. It's amazing how many people are inconsistent and unfaithful to the house of God. We need this reminder right now. Why? Because next week we're beginning to gather again. And I just know it's gonna be like, oh, I can't wait to get in there. Oh, register. Give me worship. Three months in. Well, Pastor, tell you what, I'm just gonna catch the live stream. It's gonna be good. <laughs> And you're just propping it up, you know, just doing your own thing, cooking your dinner. Oh, but then when problems happen, oh, pastor, help me. My marriage is falling apart. When was the last time you were in church? Oh, I was real consistent there for about a month after the pandemic. Yeah. I'm not trying to be unloving, but it's the truth. When we're unfaithful and inconsistent, we're proving that we don't have the right reasons. Because what is the difference between those that are here every week, that are here to serve all the time, not saying those, and, and, I, and I don't want to flip the script and, and talk about the Pharisees inside the church first without talking about people that are the first ones to call out pharisaical behavior. They're the ones who are unfaithful and inconsistent. Know why you do what you do, and if our why Of out of the truth of God, knowing that out of grace, God picked us, loves us, set our feet on a rock, cleansed us with his everlasting life, gave it to us an inheritance in heaven and we're undeserving of it, shoot, man, I will be there. You tell me where to be and I'll be there. You have been so good to me, God. That reason will propel you past the issues that you have with a pastor or with an elder or with conflict that's happened in the church. If you know the real reason, you can work through those things. You can confess your faults one toward another. Why? Because I know why I'm here. Unfaithfulness and inconsistency in your walk is a sign that you don't know the real reason. Number two, complaining. Complaining. I see Dio as a complainer in this text. Get those guys away. They are affecting my regular life. It is, it is just like literally clockwork. You know those that are gonna, going to complain about it. And as a pastor, I'm going to be like real gruff and tough right now, but you all know me, that people come and complain to me all the time, and I'm like, I love you. It's okay. God's going to get you through this, and let's pray that he changes your spirit. I'm very long-suffering, but occasionally I have to get up and just let you know that let me, let me just say it via a letter right now that we should not be complaining in our service to God. And this is just so hard. <laughs> it's not, no, no. We, we cannot compare what it is that we are going through with others and what they have gone through. Why? It just seems as though when folks go, Paul said the fellowship of his suffering, and I'm not saying you wouldn't as a believer, but when we, when we, when we go through tough times, it really puts things in perspective and we find the reason why we do things that we do. So if you struggle with complaining, Let me just exhort you this morning and say, let's go back to first principles. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because God loves you so much. Because God wants you to project His image to the world. And God redeemed you and equipped you in order to do that and have gospel ministry in this world. Do you really want to keep living in the flesh? Do you really want to keep complaining about all the things that I've already redeemed and fixed? Number three, short sightedness. Short sightedness. I see this in the pandemic. What are we going to do? You know, things have been happening for 2,000 years since Jesus Christ descended up. Since he promised to come back to the earth and redeem us all and bring about his kingdom. For us to be short-sighted with the last two or three months, or short-sighted with the idea that, uh, I don't know, it just seems to me that we need to be more long-suffering. We, we need to be understanding to the point that God can bring us through something. He can bring us through suffering. He can bring us through a pandemic. And, and it's not about our 70 years of life. It's about matching what we're doing with God's eternity, not our 70 years on earth. We, we don't believe as Christians in our Christian worldview that everything revolves around us. You see, in an evolutionary mindset, in a mindset that is humanist, that has the understanding in a worldview where it all is about me and it's human centric in my worldview, I get short sightedness. I get the fact if you lost your job or had a career change or if you had a health problem that that devastated you. I get it. That would be horrific. Why? Because all you have is what you accomplish on this earth. But that is not the case for us Christians. I look at Dio here in 3 John and I say, bro, don't be short-sighted. Don't take credit for something that's been happening for millennia. If we're in the church, listen, and I believe God is going to, I mean, revival. I mean, God is... It, I think right now, this is just me, me thinking about what God's doing in my spirit. We're not going to recognize our church come December, January, February. We're not going to recognize it. It's. I'm just letting you know, it's going to be crazy. God is doing incredible things. People are going to come. People are going to grow. God is going to explode this place. I'm just saying. And at that moment, we're not going to be short-sighted to think that It is based on our decisions and what we did that was right. We're gonna know that what God is doing in his church was his doing all along. We're not gonna be short-sighted. Here's the fourth, the the fourth thing I see. They turned away, Dio turned away these missions from the house, the house church, turned them away. I see greed. I see when when we don't understand the reason why we stand, I see a, a scarcity. Mentality instead of generosity. One thing that we need to make sure is in order. In order. Are we being generous as Christians? Once again, if we're not short-sighted and we know we're not clinging to that dollar, we have an open hand. I believe, and I'm telling you this, God is doing something incredible. I got my rug all messed up here. Wow. I got to straighten this out. I have a problem, I really do, pray for me. <laughs> Understand this, not being short-sighted, knowing that God has a plan, let's just decide now, before the economic collapse, before all of this, and some of you, it's, it's gotten tough. Shepherding through this thing, folks in our church losing their jobs, folks in our church, just the uncertainty of, of what goes into that, Don't allow greed to win and lord over your life in these moments of scarcity. Be generous. Let's be faithful in these times and know that God is going to see us through. He is the only one. He, He is in full, complete control, and we have to own that. Maybe God has blessed you abundantly. Are you appropriating that for His kingdom? Are you putting God first? Look, I'm just being practical here in this. I see a fellow who wanted preeminence. I don't want a church full of people that feel good about their positions. I want a church full of people that are humble and that are loving the Lord and that can be led and that can accomplish much for the sake of the gospel because their priorities are straight. The last thing, and I think maybe the root of all of these, we find that he wanted preeminence. The fifth thing here. In this under point number two of knowing the reason is pride. Pride. When we do things for our own pride, we're making a huge mistake. You you might as well go ahead and hand Satan the keys to the kingdom. Because you're going to believe, if you believe honestly in your heart that something is growing and that something good is happening because of you being good, then you'll believe any lie. If, if you are deceived enough to think that you have uh, this, this uh, corner edge marketing on everything that success looks like, then you're in Dio territory. We all need to humble ourselves before the Lord and be used of God and let God work and let his spirit work in our lives and give him the glory and the credit. The reason why you're doing what you're doing is not for your own pride and for your own benefit. It is for God's. If these things are tied to your reason why you are connected to the church, then you are sadly misunderstood and you don't understand, rather, why you are standing. These are not easy things. Listen to me, church. These are not easy things to shake, but they become easy when we rest in what Jesus has done for us. I, I grappled with this this week. I wrestled with it. I thought to myself, Robinson, jeez. My Enneagram 3 comes out often. Of where I, I just, man, I, yeah, I noodled that one through, or I figured that out, and then the Holy Spirit, boom. Really? <laughs> you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't have your health if I didn't permit you to have your health. You wouldn't have a mind if I didn't allow you to have a mind. You as a creature thinking that you're something, you forget you were created. Any of those things that come into the life of our church, watch, will breed deceit. And if we believe our own lie, (laughs) Satan has got us. We will cling to error. We will run with it. We will cling to something like the prosperity gospel if we believe that we are the reason for the success in our church and ministry. These things can be shaken when we rest, when we rest in what Jesus has done. It's a lot better to just say, man, you know, I'm so undeserving. Not only did you save me, but you gave your Holy Spirit to equip me To live for you. Oh my goodness. And then Satan goes, no, 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 no. No, don't believe that. Uh, It's so much better than that. You are the reason why success is happening. You are the reason why the church is growing. And you are the reason so many people are so happy. No, I'm not. God is the truth. He's the way the truth. He loved me in such a way that I'm able to love others. John says you have to identify this bad theology that's out there. You have to identify people in your life, people in your life, the dios that want preeminence, and you need to remove them from your life. In love, prayerfully believing that they will come to that knowledge of our Lord and Savior and the fact that he is the one that brings about. If you have gleaned anything from these sermons, glean this. God wants to be connected with you. God wants you to know the ground and see purpose in that ground like never before. Know that, own that, live that. And don't don't let anyone tell you any different. God wants to see you work something special in him. And listen, this is a great time for you to just Lose yourself in him. This is a great moment in this series for you just to say, you know what? I don't have to be amazing. God uses the dumb to confound the wise. This guy right here, I'm an idiot. I'm a goofball. The fact that God would do anything through me is a miracle. That's what God wants. God wants you to come to him and say, God, this is, I know I'm unlovable. And he says, no. No. I love you. I gave everything for you. I I, I want you. I desire just you, not what you can do. You know, and that's the trouble. That's the lie. Satan has convinced you that you're not worth anything. You're only worth the value that you add to the world. What a lie. You're worth what someone will pay for you. That's what you're worth. And I know A God in heaven that gave everything for you. If the value is infinite worth, our Savior Jesus Christ is worth everything. He has infinite value. There's no dollar amount that you can put on him. And guess what? He gave his life for you. He gave everything for you. Maybe for the first time in your life you're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I hope that right now you're feeling that it's not about what you can do, but what he's already done for you. What would you do? What would you do if someone came to you and knocked on your door and said, hey, uh, I don't know if you want it, but I bought an entire country for you, and it's stocked with food and water for the rest of your life, and there's actually a fountain on there. I'm making this up as I go, right? There's a fountain on there, a fountain of youth. You live for forever if you go to this place. And, um, Yeah, it's all done. It's all been cared for. It's built homes, and it, it's, it looks incredible. I've done it all for you. You would look at that person and say, are you out of your mind? You don't even know me. I've never done anything for you. Oh, it's okay. I've known you from the beginning. I've been watching you. From afar off. In fact, I created you. And in fact, I, I love you more than anything. But, but, but I haven't done anything to deserve this. I, I don't know why you would love me. I, I don't know why you would come to me and just literally tell me that everything has been given to me. Yeah. Everything. And I just, I just want you to take it. I just want you to have it. The, the keys? Like to the whole thing? Yeah. Here's a plane. Get on the plane and go. Your whole life's taken care of. No, no, it can't be. I, I'll just sit here and struggle, and I'll, I'll, I'll just make my own way. And The devil produces the lie that says, no one would ever do that for you. No one would ever love you that much. You see, the devil was probably the first one to say no to the amazing gifts that God had given him. And it's been his job since the beginning to tell everyone that God really doesn't love them. God really hasn't done these things. If you do accept it, you won't be any different. But it's been Jesus' job to come and to prove that everything he said really was the truth and that he really does feel the way he feels about us. Not only did he create us, Lose us, he redeemed us, bought us back, and paid for us really a second time. That's the story of the gospel in a Matt version. Know that God wants nothing more than for you to accept him, be loved by him, and for you to serve him and be connected to him. Maybe you're joining us today for the first time. And you've never heard a story like that. You've never heard of a savior like that. Um, It's true. Jesus is the one standing there offering eternity, a new heaven and a new earth. He's standing there offering to you a life worth living, the only life worth living. And he says, if you will just believe in me and trust in me, I've already done the rest that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you invite me into your life to do, it'll be the greatest decision you ever made. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I invite you today to put your faith, to put your trust in him. If you wanna know more about it, if you wanna know how, message us here at the church, right here on our Facebook. Comment below that you wanna know more, that's all. We'll reach out to you. We want everyone to be saved. We want everyone to come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you have already put your faith and trust, if you are a believer, if you have uh, begun to live for him maybe years ago, and somewhere along the line you've lost your way, somewhere along the line you have uh, believed the lie that you've had something to do with it why don't you repent of that today why don't you just say Lord Jesus I am sorry somewhere along the line I wanted preeminence somewhere along the line I forgot the ground I was standing on and the reason why I was standing there you know just confess it to him repent of it and you will feel more connected to him today than you ever have that's the amazing thing about our God he's not waiting for you to do he's already done so just clear out all of the, uh, the drama mama, if you will, of us getting in the way of that. Verse 13 and 14, I think they'll be right there on the, on the screen. Verse 13 and 14, I close out with this. What a great word here. 3 John, verse 13 and 14, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. He said, I have have more to say to you, but I'm not going to say anything else. Watch this, verse 14. (laughs) But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet thee, friends, by name. Let me help you with something, church. Look right here at me. If you have been watching us online If you have been following us in this series, maybe you've come to know Christ through this message. Maybe you've been encouraged in this. Maybe you're just someone who has been attending our church from the beginning. Wherever you are, I want to say more. I want to speak more about this. I want to have sermon after sermon after sermon. But guess what? I want to do it face to face. From here on out, I hope and I pray that God keeps us safe. But as John said, there's a difference. I'm coming to your house, church, and I want you to see me face to face. Let me tell you something. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. There's a difference. Register for church and come see us and be with us face to face. So much more could be said, but we're not going to say anything else. I hope to see you next week. I hope to learn of those that have made spiritual decisions and have given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ through this season. But I hope to see you face to face. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. This book, these three books together written by John, have been such a blessing and encouragement to me during this time. The word of God has given me life and breath. And Father, I pray it's the same for our church people. I pray they will love your words. I pray they will cherish them and be guided by them through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that if there's one today wrestling with their salvation, that you would just encourage them in their spirit, Father, to reach out to us so that we can bring them to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that as we bring this season to an end and we're meeting together in person next week, that I pray that we will continue growing in your grace face-to-face, Father, in a way that we have never seen before. I pray for revival in our church, Father. I pray for your Holy Spirit's power, Father, to just overtake us and for our church to be a light in this dark world. For our church to be a light in this community that is so dark and that needs you so much. We love you. We thank you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I love you so much. We'll see you next week, uh, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m.